Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Haley. Welcome to Mountain Mysteries, Tales from Appalachia. Hi, Haley. Hi, Holly. <laughs> We're back. We are back. Back Feel, again. Feels like it's been forever. And it's only been a week. It's only been a yeah, week. Have you missed me that much in a week? Yes. How's your new job going? You know, it's going really good. Um, yeah, just learning a lot. and It's always the first like few weeks are always kind of wonky. Oh, absolutely. A little weird, but I think, you know, now we're, we're settled in and, you know, I learned some really good like life lessons on advocating for yourself and knowing your worth and I think that's always it's really easy to like preach mm-hmm. and tell people but like to actually have to do it is really hard um, yeah but I did it yeah and I'm much happier for it and I think it's gonna be good well cheers to a long and happy career I hope so I Clink. surely hope I can retire from <laughs> this job in that 30 would be years. amazing <laughs> so. so i can't reach you but pretend that we're clinking our uh canned wine canned wine this is the rosé i know they got rid of the summer blend which was my favorite i like that they're getting rid of the summer blend when we're not that far off from summer. i know i'm like are you gonna bring back another summer blend i mean is there a spring blend right like the spot at the grocery store for it's like gone that was real it's sad. Really strange. Yeah. Hmm. And it's spring now, so. Yeah. It is it's like f- March. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, good job. Yeah. You're right. It's actually the 25th of March. Wow. No, 24th of March. 24th sorry. 24th. We yeah. don't know what day it is here. Yeah. Um, first day of spring was the 21st? 20th? Sure, that sounds good. I don't know. I keep seeing it on my calendar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it happened. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a little <laughs> warmer. We had, like, five inches of snow randomly I know. a few weeks ago. I know, and then we had St. Patrick's Day um, last week, and, you know, I dressed my kid in short sleeves. So, right. I mean... It's been crazy. Yeah, the We're weather. all sick. We all think we have COVID, you know. And you don't. You, you just, don't. You're just ill. It's ridiculous. I know. Yeah. All right, on that happy note. Yeah, you um, have, um, you texted me and told me to, like, emotionally prepare myself for this story, so I'm not sure what's about to happen, but I have a feeling I'm going to be upset about it. Absolutely. Gotcha. And, you know, before I even get into the story, and, and usually um, I start with what was going on in that year, and I will mention that, but I do want to say, I want to let you know that this is very heavy. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the details will be extremely hard to listen to. This crime is extremely violent and inhumane. Um, At any point, if you feel like you can't listen, I promise I won't take offense. Honestly, this was the hardest story I've ever researched just because of the details. I'm already upset. Do I have to listen? You do. I'm sorry. You do. But you know what? I, I think that it's important to tell this story because it's important to talk about the individual's, um, that lost their lives due to this senseless crime. Um, 
and have their names out there. And that being said, please know that I am not going to name the perpetrators in this crime. Gotcha. Um, because I don't feel like these monsters need any notoriety. Gotcha. Um, and I will, however, continually use the names of the victims in this case. Okay. That being said, so right. prepare yourselves. The story starts in Knoxville, Tennessee, in January of 2007. I want to give a shout out to my friend Chanel, who mentioned this story to me. She did not mention how gruesome these details were. So, Chanel, Chanel shout out to you. All right, so January of 2007, the number one song was Irreplaceable by Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Uh, on January 1st, an Atom Air Flight 574 disappears over Indonesia and crashes and was later discovered, and it was the deadliest aviation accident of a Boeing 737. They've had a lot of issues recently. Yeah, they have. Yeah. So. Not great. Not great at all. No. On January 4th, 2007, Nancy Pelosi becomes the first female Speaker of the House. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a place that we frequent frequently. Yeah, we frequent it frequently. <laughs> so it is Saturday, January 6, 2007. 23-year-old carpenter Hugh Christopher Newsom Jr., better known as Chris, was getting ready to spend the day at one of his favorite spots, the golf course. I super admire people who like golf for fun. Like, I think it takes a lot of patience. I do too, and I don't have it. But like, me neither. And is it about the golfing, or is it about the like camaraderie? Golfers, let Golfers. us know. Hit us up. Yeah, let us know. I think with any sport, maybe the team building camaraderie. Yeah, I'm not a competition sports, sports gal. Hmm. Not really a team sport. Gotcha. Person. Yeah, just individual sports. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. She's a hunter. Huntress. <laughs> Huntress. <laughs> so Chris was super excited um, because he loved to go golfing. He was an avid golfer and he spent the entire day, uh, the day before, on the golf course with his girlfriend, Shannon Christian. Shannon herself came from a golf enthused family and enjoyed spending time with Chris on that bright winter day. So they had like a little date, they went golfing, shared some commonalities, you know, her family was into golfing, he golfed. Cute. Yeah. After a day on the golf course, Chris ran back home to his parents' house to change his clothes. Chris was excited because he and Shannon were planning on going to dinner and attending a friend's party. Chris and Shannon had been dating for a while, and the two were pretty much head over heels in love with each other. Adorable. Had a lot of similar interests, and both were described as very kind and loving individuals. 21-year-old Shannon was a senior at the University of Tennessee, otherwise known as UT, and she was majoring in sociology. Shannon was looking forward to her date with Chris and went to her friend's apartment to get ready for the evening. Shannon's friend left the apartment around 8 p.m. to head to the party. Shannon stayed behind to wait on Chris, who planned on picking her up. Gotcha. Obviously, your boyfriend's coming, so it's like, you gotta wait for him. He's gonna be here. And you're 20. She's, what, 21? 21. Yeah. You got, like, you know, you're about to graduate. You got this awesome boyfriend. You right. know, living your life. So her friend said, yeah, cool. See you at the party. Bye. So 
She was waiting. Chris arrived at the apartment complex, and he parked his car, went up, knocked on the door, Shannon answered, and they walked down to the parking lot. Shannon gets into the driver's side of her Toyota 4Runner and rolls the window down, which, by the way, those are such nice cars. I know. I was like, I actually know what kind of car that is. (laughs) I don't know most cars, but I do know a 4Runner. I looked at the 4Runner and really considered it. They're nice. It just didn't have the room I needed, so it didn't end up happening, but I wanted one. I love 4Runners. Anyway. So she gets into her forerunner and Chris is standing beside the car. She's got her window rolled down and they're talking to each other and he reaches out his arms and he hugs her and they're kissing and being really loving and affectionate. I'm not really clear if he was going to get in the passenger seat and she was going to drive or he was going to follow her. I'm just, I'm not really clear about that. Right. Maybe it could have like changed from the original plan of like, hey, we need to take two cars. Yeah, it could have been definitely. So while they were embracing, their embrace was quickly and terrifyingly halted when two men approached the couple with a gun. Oh no. Startled and fearful, Chris and Shannon followed the sharp directives of the stranger. Chris and Shannon were thrown into the back seat of Shannon's SUV. Their captors quickly got into the car and shouted for another man to follow behind them as they left the parking lot. While one man drove, the other sat in the back seat and tied Chris's hands behind him and Shannon's in front of her, almost in a prayer position. They are each blindfolded with a bandana. A short time later, the car came to a stop in front of a house located at 2316 Chipman Street. A bent chain-link fence surrounded the front of the small, dark blue house. The home was in a notoriously dangerous area with a great deal of crime, violence, and drug activity. One of the men takes off his hood. He had a a hoodie on, basically. So he takes off his hoodie and he throws it over Shannon's head as not to draw attention to her as he brings her into the house. Swiftly following is another assailant who is holding Chris by the arm. One of the men lowers the bandana from Shannon's eyes and it slips down her neck. The man orders another member of the household to go into the kitchen and grab some water. Once the water is retrieved, the man gives it to Shannon to drink. So do know that in this household, and I want to kind of explain because I'm not going to use the assailants' names. I want to sort of tell you who the players are. Gotcha. So really quickly, we have... The person that I will call the um, abductor. He's sort of this main ringleader. He is the one who wanted to carjack. You know, he is kind of the, the mastermind yeah, right. behind all this. Okay. And he is the one who's renting this house. Okay. His brother and the brother's girlfriend and the brother's friend. So these three people, two guys and a girl, are actually visiting from Kentucky. They don't live in Knoxville. They're just visiting him. So they're house guests. They're really unaware, according to testimony, of what's going on. Like, they're very confused. And the one house guest brings her water because he's like, what is going on? I don't understand. The other carjacker ends up leaving. So he brings them in and he's like, "Mm, guys, I don't know about this. And so he leaves. So at this point, we have four people in the house. Okay. The abductor, the female house guest, and the two male house guests. 
And one of them is his brother, the Avengers brother. Correct. Gotcha. Who's visiting. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. okay. All right. So I know it's a little confusing. So they give Shannon the water. She's drinking it. A disagreement starts between two of the men. And the other three house guests, which include two males and a female. So this is before the, the other, other guy leaves. leaves. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Three of the household guests um, state that they want to leave because they don't want to be involved in whatever these men have in mind. Right. And the men are firm that no one is leaving. And the abductor actually takes out a gun and asserts that he will shoot the three house guests if they leave including his own brother. Oh, my God. Give me a sec. Yeah, so he says that he's going to shoot his own brother. He says that he'll, you know, like, wound him. He won't kill him, but he said... Yeah. Yeah. Make it to where you can't leave. Right. And he tells the female, I'll shoot your pretty ass. And he says to the other male, I'll just kill you. Like, I have no... No attachment No regard for you. Yeah, I'll just kill you. So, very fearful... Uh, the three house guests comply and sit down. The three eventually move to sit at the kitchen table and begin smoking pot. One of the assailants comes in and orders a hit off the blunt. Then he demands that one of the men, whom he claims needs to earn his trust, to come with him. This is this like a gang initiation? Sounds like it, doesn't Kinda it? Kind of like we're making this weird... Um, okay. Yeah, and this is the abductor, the one who's this mastermind, comes in and says, you know, you, the one that he said I could shoot you and right, not have and an I issue don't care with. About you. I want you to come with me. Gotcha. So the two men leave. So now left in the house, we have the one male house guest, the brother, and his girlfriend, along with Shannon and Chris. Okay. So, the next part of the story actually comes from sworn testimony given by that brother, the household guest. Um, He says, at this point, Shannon had been moved from the living room into the bedroom. When the two men leave, the house guest goes and asks Shannon if she's okay. She asks him for some more water, and he brings her some. And Shannon is lying on an air mattress with her hands tied over her head, which was attached to a double bag with books and weights. Her feet are also bound. The household guest untied her hands enough to where she could sit up and drink the water. Shannon asked the man what was going on and where her boyfriend was, to which the man replied, I don't know. So it seems like some of this testimony gets kind of confusing. So Mm -hmm. at some point, Chris and the other two men end up leaving. Okay. Shannon asked the man if she could smoke a cigarette. She directed him to the bookcase where her purse was to get out the Marlboros. The man lit the cigarette for her and gave it to her. While nervously smoking the cigarette, Shannon asked the man why they were doing this. The man replied, It's not me. I have nothing to do with this. We're being held against our will just like you are. The only difference is you're tied up and we're not. I feel like that's it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, huge difference. Big difference. You got control of your limbs, and she right. does not. Right, and that is not super sympathetic to her mm-hmm. plight here. No. Yeah. Shannon began to plead with the man to ask her captor to let her go. He told her that he would try. She told him that she would do anything if she could be let go. She even offered him sex. The man asked her to give him oral sex, to which she performed. 
So in those moments, I can't imagine how scared you would be. I mean, you just want to escape with your life. Yeah. Even if it means, I mean, you're willing to do anything at that point. Even I mean, if it means essentially being sexually assaulted. Yeah. You're willing to do that just to save your life. Yeah. So the assault finished and the man's DNA was on her shirt and her pants. The man straightened his clothing and put Shannon back in the position, hand over head, tied to the weight of the duffel bag like he found her. So again, it's like, how are you helping her? You're not helping her. You're taking advantage of a terrible situation. Like you're, at this point, complicit in this. And your girlfriend is also in the house. Right. Yeah. The man went into the living room and sat down with the female. A few minutes later, Shannon's abductor returned with the man he said he needed to trust. But no Chris. The abductor went into the room where Shannon was being held and came back out 30 minutes later. He instructed the man he needed to trust to come with him one more time, and the two headed out for an hour and a half. When the man returned, there were blood stains on his clothing. Both men had to change their clothes. They had been wearing black clothing with blood stains all over them. A few minutes later, a friend of the abductor came over. So now there's a fifth person. Oh, my God. And the two went into the room where Shannon was tied up. The next day and a half, up until Monday morning, was a jumble of movement within the house, including Shannon being choked by the abductor in a utility room. At one point, the abductor forced the female household member to take Shannon's pulse to see if she was dead or not. The girl was scared because the abductor held a gun to her head. She was crying and saying she didn't know because she wasn't a nurse. I mean, yeah, it's hard to find a pulse if you don't know what you're looking for. And if someone's going to shoot you in the head. I mean, that's terrifying. Meanwhile... When Chris and Shannon didn't show up to the party, their friends became worried because that was highly unlike them. They tried to call and text them, but they never got a response. Way out of character for them. And they thought, this is so strange. Like, normally they would at least respond to a text. Right. So by 11 p.m., which was three hours after the couple had last been seen, some of Chris's friends went to the apartment to look for them. No one answered the door, and they noticed that Chris's truck was still in the parking lot, but Shannon's forerunner was gone. At 12.30 a.m., a waste management employee was headed to work near Chipman Street. He noticed that a white Toyota forerunner with four African-American males, who slowed down briefly to give him a once-over, were driving down the road. The employee noticed that lights and a lot of movement were going on at the house, which he thought was kind of strange. That didn't seem typical. At 1.45, a neighbor on Chipman Street heard three loud pops near the train tracks that ran parallel to the community. On Sunday, January 7th, so the next morning after the abduction, Mm -hmm. Shannon's mother woke up with a horrible feeling and tried repeatedly to call her daughter but never got an answer. She talked to Shannon's friends who told her that she and Chris never showed up for the party. When Shannon didn't report for work that day, her boss called her parents to see if Shannon was okay. Greatly concerned for their children's well-being, both Shannon and Chris's parents went to the police to file a missing persons report. 
Sadly, their parents were told that nothing could be done at that point because Chris and Shannon were adults and they would have to wait 24 hours. Hate that rule. Police told the family that they would have to search for Chris and Shannon on their own. Okay. Right? Yeah. I just... Just take a breath. That is just so aggravating. Shannon's parents took matters into their own hands, and good for them. They contacted the cell phone company to see where her phone has last pinged. Thanks to the support from the cell phone company, they discovered that the phone had pinged off of a Cherry Street tower. Now, keep in mind, Cherry Street was not a super safe place. Right. Um, so at 1.30 in the morning on Monday, January 8th, Shannon's family went to Cherry Street. They found her forerunner abandoned. So, I heard it reported that Cherry Street was one of those that, like, if you didn't live there, uh, you wouldn't be there unless you were looking for trouble. This was just not the ideal area. So, they're like, okay, something has happened. Why would she be here? Why would her car be here? When they looked in the car, they noticed several things missing, including pictures, a teddy bear, a phone charger, and an iPod. Remember, it's 2007. Right. (laughs) The family also noticed that the floorboards were covered in mud, which was not typical for Shannon. She always kept her car very clean and very tidy. They also observed that the front seats were pulled all the way back. And this would make it appear that someone else had been driving since Shannon would never have been able to reach the pedals. Right. Shannon had multiple stickers on her car that had been removed and a pack of Newport Light cigarettes sitting in the front seat. Well... Shannon didn't smoke Newports, so that was very strange. It very much appeared someone else has been driving this car. Right. Shannon's family called the police, who searched the car for evidence, and they found an envelope that appeared to have a fingerprint, a fingerprint that would eventually lead them to the assailants. When police ran the lone fingerprint, it matched a man who had done several years in prison for carjacking. Oh, my God. The man just so happened to live in an older home located at 2316 Chipman Street. When police arrived at the house to question the man, they found that the home was empty. When investigators went into the house, they discovered five large trash bags in the kitchen. Upon inspection of the bags, they found the body of Shannon Christian. Oh, no. In addition to Shannon's body... Police found her purse, shoes, camera, photographs, and iPod. Chris's driver's license and his baseball cap were also found in the house. The trash bags that held Shannon's body was covered in the assailant's fingerprints, and her body and clothing had semen that matched two of the perpetrators. Police were able to find the main abductor hiding in an abandoned house. They quickly arrested him and brought him to the police station for an interrogation. The abductor told five different stories, claiming that he was innocent of the murder. He claimed that he just used her car to sell drugs. As one does. Obviously. Um, Eventually, DNA and fingerprint evidence led to the arrest of the three house guests who had since returned to Kentucky. All five individuals were charged with murder or accessory to murder. Okay. So now, this is the most gruesome and difficult part of the story. I kind of held it off um, because it's 
It's intense. So I'm. So if you need to skip yeah, head yeah. by a lot or, you know. For sure. See us next week. Yeah. Yeah. See you next Just week. Prepare yourself here. So All I'm, right. I'm going to go into detail about what happened to both Chris and Shannon. As I mentioned, it's extremely difficult. So take care of yourself. When the two men left the house with Chris, they tied his feet together. His hands continued to be tied behind his back. He also had a bandana over his eyes, and a sock was stuffed in his mouth as a gag. Chris was sodomized with an object. I'm not exactly sure what. He was also raped by at least one of the male perpetrators. The men removed Chris's shoes, and he only had on a t-shirt and underwear. Remember, this is January. The men put a dog leash around his neck and forced him to walk barefoot along the railroad tracks that run through their neighborhood. Once the men reached a stopping point, they pulled out a gun and shot him in the neck and the back at close range. Chris was still alive after the two shots were fired. So the men pointed the muzzle of the gun to Chris's head above his right ear. It was a shot that severed his brainstem and killed him instantly. Back at the assailant's house, Shannon was tied up and held captive in one of the bedrooms. She was repeatedly raped and beaten. When the medical examiner testified at trial, he stated that Shannon had suffered hours of sexual torture and had severe injuries to her vagina, anal cavity, and mouth. The medical examiner stated that some of the injuries were sustained by penetration of an object, thought to be a detached table leg. She was raped orally, vaginally, and anally. She had been kicked in the vagina and beaten in the head. She suffered extensive blood loss from her head and her vaginal area. Her body was covered in bruises from constant beatings, and she had rug burns on her back where she had been dragged on the carpet. The abductor, as I mentioned before, tried to choke her to death, but she passed out and awoke. Shannon's abductors were fearful that their DNA would be found on her body and devised a plan to wipe her clean. While still very much alive, the men poured bleach down her throat and used the chemical to clean areas of her body, including her badly bleeding and torn vaginal area. The men used strips of bedding and curtains to hog-tie Shannon's hands and feet together. The men took a small trash bag and tightly tied it around her head. Over the next several minutes, Shannon died a painful death as she suffocated with the tight bag strapped to her face. Her body was put in five trash bags, so it's one and in another and another and another, uh, that encompassed her, and she was thrown into a trash can inside the kitchen like garbage. After the men killed Shannon, the abductor gave some of Shannon's personal items to his girlfriend as a gift. The abductor also wore Chris's size 9.5 Nikes and was seen using his cell phone. Four of the five suspects were indicted on murder charges, and the fifth suspect was charged with being an accessory to a carjacking. That was the man who had the left. left. Yeah. Okay. The four suspects were tried separately throughout 2009. The fifth suspect was found guilty of being an accessory to carjacking and was sentenced to 18 years in prison. He is currently being held at a low-security federal prison in Mississippi. 
The man who claimed that he was being held hostage, but also encouraged Shannon to give him oral sex, that was the brother, Mm -hmm. the house guest, he was found guilty of facilitating first-degree murder. Good. He was also found guilty of facilitating the murder of Chris Newsom. He was given a life sentence. The man's girlfriend was acquitted of first-degree murder, but she was found guilty of lesser charges. She was sentenced to 53 years, the maximum sentence, in prison. Good. The house guests who went along with the abduction to earn the trust mm-hmm. uh, was convicted um, of one count of capital murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Good. Yeah. Finally, the abductor, the one who coordinated this entire attack and murder, was tried in October of 2009. He was found guilty on charges of rape, murder, sodomy, kidnapping, imprisonment, and carjacking. The jury unanimously agreed upon a death sentence for him. Good. Yes. Several months later, the abductor was also given an additional 80 years on other charges good mm-hmm. judge Bumgarner, who was present at the abductor sentencing said the following regarding this crime he stated that this was quote one of the most incredibly outrageous cruel and inhumane cases this court has ever seen how people can engage in this type of conduct is just unexplainable there is really no sentence great enough to punish you for the conduct you have been convicted of absolutely oh my gosh i love it when a judge gets a little sassy i know i love a sassy judge i love a sassy judge not really judge judy no she's too much but in like the way of like you're a terrible person and i'm gonna tell you that you're a terrible person and i love that so this is what people want to say i mean because this story is gruesome yeah it's terrible so the four defendants appealed their cases and these are the ones who are not the abductor um, and while it seemed highly unlikely that they would be given any kind of retrial, something unforeseen happened. Oh, God, I don't like it when you say that. <sighs> yeah. Judge Bumgarner, the same one who gave the speech, uh-huh. he presided over uh, the cases, the sentencing. Well, he admitted to purchasing prescription medication from convicts. He also was accused of trading legal favors for sex during breaks in the court sessions. Bob Garner. Right? It's like, gosh, I'm darn sorry, it. you're preaching to somebody and you're doing this? Granny didn't murder anybody. Horrifically. No, no. But still, right. you're a judge. Right. You can't be doing that. No, that's not cool. Incorrect. Very, very much. So, due to the judge's misconduct, um, the defendant's attorneys appealed the cases, stating that the judge wasn't able to use proper judgment since he most likely was under the influence of drugs while proceeding over the case. As much as I hate it, it's as they should. Right? I mean, it makes sense. So, there was a lot of back and forth. The new judge ruled that the four could have new trials, while the Tennessee Supreme Court overruled that ruling prosecutors um had the new judge recuse himself because he had been talking to the media about the case i mean no so 
retrials initially were denied for three out of the five defendants. So do note, like I mentioned before, the abductor, he was never, ever considered for retrial. Like, that was it. His death sentence was going to be maintained. So for the two defendants who were retried, um, this time trials were held about 300 miles away from Knoxville in order to, you know, kind of create a non-bias. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. The female house guest was retried found guilty again but rather than having her 53 year sentence she was giving given 35 years subtracted by the time she had already served which about this point had been about three years so she got like 32 or four years yeah yeah they're you know between 30 32 years yeah during sentencing the judge commented that the psychological torture of this unfortunate victim was immense he also called the crime the most horrible murder case he had ever seen The male house guest, who went with the abductor to prove himself, was retried and again found guilty. He was resentenced to life in prison, but was allowed parole after a concurrent 51 years for rape and murder. I don't love that. No, me neither. It's interesting because, you know... It just kind of shows you that peer pressure aspect of it. Like, okay, okay, yeah, I want to prove something. And maybe there's fear base that goes to it. There's drugs, too. Drugs involved. Like, there's just so many layers involved to it. That's like, that's that old choose your friends wisely, you know? I know. And two people are dead. Right? Like, that's the part that everybody's got to remember. Two people are dead. Yes. Yes. Horrifically. Horrifically, brutally, in every way. Yeah. So, the last defendant, who was initially charged with carjacking, was retried in 2018, 11 years after the crime. That's insane. Yeah. And it was determined that due to evidence and testimony that this man did more than just carjack. They felt like he was involved in facilitating some of this rape and murder, potentially. Maybe they didn't get all the story. Right. Um, He was sentenced to life in prison. So, he went from 18 years and you'll get out to, now you're going to do life. I'm not mad about it. No, me neither. All five individuals are currently serving their sentences in various prisons in the South. As they should. Yes. So, thanks to some lobbying from families of the victims, there were two laws that were introduced in 2014 as a result of this case. Okay. So, one of them is the Chris Newsom Act. And this was introduced in order to eliminate the need for a judge to sign on the jury verdict after after a delivery of a unanimous verdict. So, you know, judge doesn't have to sign off on it, especially in a case where the judge may have not been. Right. Like if you've got 12, like, jurors of your peers and they Mm. all unanimously agree, especially on a a death sentence case. Yeah, that should probably hold. Exactly. And their point was, you know, had this law been in place during the case, there wouldn't have been all those retrials. Right. Wouldn't have to go through this trauma all over again. Exactly. There's also the Shannon Christian Act. So this act restricts attorneys and defendants in attempting to portray a victim in a negative light, such as making allegations about their behavior. I think during this trial, they tried to make Shannon a certain way. Um, and I think even the brother house guest almost tried to make it appear that she was coming on to him or... And so what if she was? She was trying to survive. 
Right. Like, you're going to say and do anything. anything. It's anything. that fight or flight. You don't know what you're going to do in a situation where you're like, I have to get out of here. Yep. I have to survive. And, you know, according to Shannon's mother, the family felt such intense pain listening to the defense attorney question her character. I mean, as a parent, if you're up there talking crap about my child who you viciously murdered. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was thinking about like career choices and I landed in social work, which I think is probably a much better field for me than law school. Um, But I wanted to, I wanted to be a public defender. Like I wanted to make sure that people, particularly those marginalized people have fair trials. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could ever have been on, I, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have even been in the jury. No. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't. I mean, we probably would have been kicked out of the jury pretty quick just yeah. because of our professions. Or, our, uh, yes. We usually get ruled out of juries real fast. I always have. Yeah. I haven't been called yet, but I know. Like, I mean, the question, just the questions they ask, like, pretty much social workers and nurses <laughs> were usually pretty immediately eliminated. Yeah. And it's a quickie segue, but I tell you, um, I had been called as the alternate. Oh, God. Several years ago, and they add several years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, and they said um, it was a DV case, a mm-hmm. domestic violence. And uh, they asked me, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a therapist. And the prosecution said, I would like to keep her. And the defense said, bye. <laughs> um, so uh, they felt that I would have, they asked if I would have a bias. Have you worked DV cases? Have you seen this? Do you feel like you would have a bias? And I was like, absolutely not. Yes, I have worked DV cases, you know, all these things. And they were like, bye. So I got to go home and I got my $12. Nice. Yes, great. Yeah, great. you're 12 bucks a day. And free parking. Right. Yeah, that was nice. That validated. Validated parking. It was yeah. great. Okay, um, so remember how I told you that Shannon was a golf enthusiast and her family was? Mm-hmm. They created, her family created the Shannon Gale Christian Foundation and the Shannon Gale Christian Memorial Golf Tournament. So in honor of her, there was a scholarship that was created for her local high school. And this, whoever got the scholarship was able to attend the University of Tennessee. And the foundation was also established in Chris's name. And this foundation holds an annual memorial baseball tournament at the local park. And a community, excuse me, a memorial scholarship is given annually in his name to a graduating high school student who was a baseball player, which I thought was really awesome. Shannon's father, Gary, um, often speaks at churches and proclaims how in the spring of 2017, he asked God to restore him from his previous and pervasive anger. He presents a very compelling testimony of how he overcame that anger, and most East Tennesseans saw it played out in news articles throughout the trial and the appeal process, which I can't imagine. Mm. The house on Chipman Street was purchased by the Waste Management Company that was very close by. And they tore the home down. Good. Burned that mother down, let me tell you. And the company created a memorial there to Chris Mm -hmm. and Shannon, which I thought was just 
so waste touchy. management folks are yeah usually some of the most genuine people absolutely <laughs> people ever meet. absolutely so you know there is good in this story even mm-hmm. though i've got to say and i think i said it before but it's true this is the hardest story i've ever done yeah i'm not okay over here I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, and, and I wasn't either. In researching it, I really had to take a lot of time. So, Chanel. God bless it, Chanel. Chanel let me tell you something. Chanel told me of this story. Oh. Yeah, there was a, um, I think it was like a carjacking of this couple. And I think they were murdered. I'm not really sure. You'll have to look into it. It was when I was in college at UT. So, she was there at that time. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay. She was like, yeah, we were all really scared and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, okay, cool. And so I went off to research it thinking, oh, okay, basic murder like we usually do. I, thanks a lot. Thanks, Chanel. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Chanel. So I hope you're listening. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) With the doors locked and and all those things. Uh So please know that most people are good. Most yeah, people are good, are. but when take precautions, not, be safe, yeah, and, you know, they are serving the sentences that they should be. Yeah. They are where they should be. Whew, take care of yourself, y'all. <sighs> Absolutely. So that is the end of, of my tale. <laughs> um, take a lap. Yeah, definitely. Here in a minute. We've covered a lot of stories, a lot of difficult ones, a lot of weird ones, but I would say... This this is up there with yeah, the most um, horrific. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, so if you all have some feedback or some feelings that you would like to share, you are welcome to get a hold of us. Haley, how do they do it? Yeah, you can um, send us an email at mountainmysteries.appalachian at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Facebook at Mountain Mysteries Tales from Appalachia or find us on Instagram at mountainmysteries.appalachia. And you can check out our Patreon for some bonus content at patreon.com slash mountain mysteries. And the thing is, why wouldn't you want to check us out on Patreon? Right. It's such a good, it's a good time. It's a good time and you get so much more. Yes. So if you bonus episodes, if you like are Jones and without us. And by the way, um, we did something very cool to surprise you guys couple weeks ago we dropped an episode <laughs> we <early>. sure did <laughs> so that was specially for you and we hope that you enjoyed it which it seemed like you guys did so you got that bell witch episode pretty yes, early love so. it. all right so i want to give a quick shout out to one of our locations Haley. go for it uh, for our great listeners that we got going on here all right let me just pull it up sorry you guys i'm usually a little more organized but you know, that I'm story got honest. me a little little shaken here. So I want to give a shout out to Romeoville, Illinois. That sounds lovely. Yeah, I was super excited. Like, Romeoville. How nice. I wonder if it's romantic. Would, I mean, if not, We're they missed an opportunity. It really did, for sure. All right, y'all. Catch us next week when Haley's got an exciting, creepy, freaky story. Um, aliens? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.